You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. We make heroes out of godless giants in our world, whether in the sports realm a lot of times or in other realms. And so that's, I think, naturally what happened here, just like it's still happening today. And then verse 5, very important, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine living in that day? The Lord was grieved. Do you think our society is out of control these days? Imagine what it was like during the days of Noah. The world during that time was wicked, violent, and corrupt. It was so bad that God destroyed it all. Noah and his family found favor in God's eyes. He recognized their faith and their obedience. Pastor Danny will teach about the faith of Noah. He was obedient when the rest of society carried on with their wicked lifestyle. Are you obedient to the Lord's call in your life? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis chapter 6 as he begins his message, Noah's Ark and the Flood. Genesis chapter 6. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. That's an important statement because I think it adds to just the natural meaning of the text. They married any of them they chose. Now, I'm not going to go off on this, but the Bible is very clear. Old Testament New Testament, and even certainly before the law, God gives direction and wants to give direction about who we marry. And, uh, you know, in Israel, God didn't uh, have them intermarrying, but it wasn't a racial thing. It was a spiritual thing. And that's the bottom line. And I agree with Pastor Scott, who taught a few weeks ago on the chapters leading up to this and then mentioned this chapter. You know, some suggest that The sons of God here and the daughters of men, they were angels and they were intermarrying with human beings. I think that's crazy. I don't see that at all. And then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. That's connected with what was just said in the first two verses. The sons of God, I believe, are the descendants of Seth, the godly line. And they stepped out of their devotion, if you will, to the Lord, and they became infatuated with the women of the world, of the ungodly. And they intermarried with them out of God's will. And it was just a chain reaction. And God said, hey, this can't continue. And he sets a time, 120 years. 
Then verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. And again, those that suggest these were angelic beings intermarrying with human beings, which I think is crazy. Whatever happened though, it's a rebellious line marrying a, well, formerly godly line. And somehow in this whole mix, you ended up occasionally with these giants. That's what the Nephilim were. They were men of renown, the heroes, but they were godless. And listen, you still see the same thing today. We make heroes out of godless giants in our world, whether in the sports realm a lot of times or in other realms. And so that's, I think, naturally what happened here, just like it's still happening today. And then verse 5, very important, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine living in that day? The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. We could talk longer about that statement, but let it suffice to say that uh, we serve a God who's not ever, (laughs) he never made a mistake, but he's a God who feels pain. And the pain here is because of his creation, human beings. Even some that had walked with him now have walked away from him. And the wickedness of man grieved the heart of God. So the Lord said, I'll wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. And then in the midst of all that darkness and negativity because of the wickedness of the world in that day, you have this amazing statement. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's the first time we have that Hebrew word in this book of beginnings and in our Bible, the word favor translated from a Hebrew word that means literally grace, acceptance. And so Noah found grace. And because of the grace of God, found acceptance from God in the midst of this wicked, godless society. And then verse 9, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. We know because Hebrews 11 tells us that Noah's righteousness was based on his faith, and all righteousness is based on faith. He was blameless. He was not sinless. You're going to learn that before the story's over. He was blameless because he was righteous by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, again, confirms that. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. So you not only have these ungodly relationships in marriage, you have violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. The actual Hebrew word, according to 
scholars that I read in commentaries, we don't know exactly what kind of wood it was. One translation says it's gopher wood, which is a very durable kind of wood. And we know whatever kind of wood it was, it was definitely durable. God would only choose the best of materials that he had created. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and this is interesting, coat it with pitch inside and out. That Hebrew word translated in the English for pitch is very interesting because you find it over and over and over again in the Old Testament translated atonement. Atonement. And you're not reading into the passage to suggest that the pitch here is very important because the pitch, it's a tar-like substance, the best we can gather, is what kept the ark from leaking and therefore sinking. You would be secure in the ark because of the atonement that covered you. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. They say it was about the size of the Titanic. Not until 1858 was a ship built bigger than the ark. That was a long time. One and a half football fields, different ideas or different estimations depending on the size of a railroad car, but somewhere around 700 railroad cars worth of volume. It was big, especially for its day. Make a roof for it. Finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. So there's ventilation. Put a door in the side of the ark. Make lower, middle, and upper deck. So only one way in, one way out. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. Um, According to some smart guys, John C. Whitcomb and Henry Morris, the three decks gave the ark approximately 95,700 square feet, and its gross tonnage was just shy of 14,000. Verse 18, but I'll establish my covenant with you, and you'll enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You're to take every kind of food that's to be eaten, store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Chapter seven, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you, your whole family, because I've found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I'll send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I'll wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was, get this, 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. 
in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open. So just in case anyone doesn't know, it wasn't just rain from above. It was rain from above and water from beneath. It's a lot of water for 40 days, 40 nights. Verse 12, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. How many people is that? Eight. That's fascinating. Eight people. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. That's an interesting statement. Tells us the animals were smarter than the people. They listened to God. They came. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then, get this, the Lord shut them in. The Lord closed the door. And nobody could open that door once the Lord closed it. Unless you were in the ark when God closed the door, there was no hope. Now, I read that rather rapidly, but I want us to sit back just for a moment and chew on the fact that what I just read didn't happen for 120 years. The ark was being built during that time. It took a long time, no doubt, to build the ark. Have you ever thought, too, when God gives Noah the instruction to build this big boat, this, this ark, he doesn't even live near a lake. It's never rained. Nobody knows what a flood is. And for 120 years, Peter tells us, tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So for 120 years, while he's building the ark, he's preaching and he's warning people. And every time I read the story, and every time I teach about Noah and the flood and the ark, I can't help but imagine what it really was like for Noah and those seven other people that did enter the ark. During the 120 years, can you imagine as Noah's out preaching? He must sound like a maniac. And I, I say this humorously, and yet I believe if, if it would happen in our day, in our day, every major network would be filming this guy. They'd be filming the building of this big ark. He would be the brunt of every late night show anywhere in the world. They'd be joking about him. His family would be made fun of. Because after 120 years, nobody else but Noah and his three sons, their wives, and Noah's wife got in the ark. 
That's fascinating to me and extremely sad. Then the Lord shut him in. Chapter 7, verse 17, for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. I'm glad God doesn't give us the details here. I'm glad we don't know how many people died the first week. How many people died the second week? Because listen, if it happened in our day, you'd get the statistics when you get those news reports. Until one by one, those news stations were no longer able to broadcast. Because one by one, they're going down. Literally going down. Forty days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. Some people foolishly suggest that this was a local flood. Keep reading. And how do, you, how do you even entertain that thought? The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. Not just covered. Keep reading. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Some of the mountains around Ararat, where they believe, well, it even tells us that that's where the ark would later come to rest. Some of the mountains in that area were as high as 17,000 feet. It wasn't a local flood, folks. Covered the whole face of the earth according to the word of God. It was universal. Verse 21, every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, I ought to just skip that part because somebody's going to email me and don't, look, I, look, that's just what it says. Livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. But let me just point out who was responsible. It was the wickedness of mankind. It wasn't God's fault. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out, men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And again, I, I can't get out of my mind every time I read the story what it must have been like for the last few. Scurrying up that last mountain with whatever they had. But there was no escape. There's no escaping God. You can run, but you cannot hide. There is no place to hide from God. That's sufficient. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Wow. It's almost half a year. Sure, there was some good ventilation in that ark. Chapter 8, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of the 150 days, the water had gone. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. God tells us exactly where it came to rest. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention, the Hebrew word for flood here, when we began in chapter 6, the Hebrew word for flood, it's the word for deluge. 
I mean, it was an, an absolute deluge. The New Testament Greek word where they translate the flood uh, of Noah's day, uh, it's the Greek word cataclysmos. And I'll give you three guesses, and the first two don't count as to what English word we get from that. Cataclysmic, of course. It was cataclysmic. Came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. In 275 BC, a guy named Barosus, a Babylonian historian, wrote, and we have record of his writing, of this ship that grounded in Armenia, some part still remains in the mountains, and some get pitch, the tar-like substance, from the ship by scraping it off. 75 AD, Josephus, the Jewish historian, records for us that the locals collected relics from the ark and showed them off during his day in which he lived. He also said that the ancient historians knew that he knew of wrote about the ark. In 180 AD, Theophilus of Antioch wrote, and I quote, the remains of the ark are to this day to be seen in the mountains. 1876, distinguished British statesman and author Viscount James Bryce climbed Ararat and reported finding a four-foot-long piece of hand-tooled lumber at a height of more than 13,000 feet. I just love kind of this kind of stuff. Six Tur Turkish soldiers claimed to have seen the Ark in 1916. A Russian aviator, Vladimir Ragavitsky, claimed to have discovered Noah's Ark uh, when he was stationed in southern Russia. And I won't read all the report here, but he was flying and he looked down and on the edge of a glacier, he saw a boat that he described.